Welcome to episode two of The Local Meta. My name is Fletcher. And I'm John. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Got to play some magic, watch a sweet little event. Nice, nice. Yeah, I talked to you a bit earlier today, and I'm, uh, I didn't get to tune in and stuff, but you said you were watching some of the SCG team event? Yeah, it's great. It's really awesome watching people play real decks, actually, in formats, instead of like the weird little gimpness that is unified constructed. I, the only reason I know about it is because you were talking about our boy, Patrick Sullivan, playing some Burn. So, what? I, I don't know if anyone else was watching this, but I'm, uh, just give, me, give us a rundown on what it is really quick, and how awesome it sounds. <laughs> So the way uh, Team Constructed works is unlike normal Team Unified Constructed, where you're, everyone's playing the same format, and they can only play up to four of any card amongst all their decks, which usually leads to, as I said, um, it'll lead to GIMP decks in each in whatever that format is. But the way SCG's doing it for this is there's one person playing Standard, one person playing Modern, one person playing Legacy, and they're all playing fully powered decks. And, you know, the teams still play, you know, uh, first to two wins or best two out of three, as people call it otherwise. But then it, it comes down to, like, the actual team score, two out of the three people on your team need to win their match for you to have a match win in the actual event, which is just really sweet. That format just sounds like the best thing ever. It's everything I've ever wanted to do, except they should just take Standard out and make it Vintage Legacy and Modern. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, then people can't actually afford it. Yeah, I know. Stuff. But you cannot have a sanctioned event with proxies. Yeah, that's a topic for another time. But I mean, you know, the thing, the great thing is though, you could have like at least two land still decks in the in the format, which would be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Personally, the format would really suck for me because if I went, I would want to go with like you know you and Andy, and I'm basically stuck playing standard at that point because you'll be in modern and Andy will be in legacy because you guys don't play standard, and I'd I'd be screwed playing the least fun deck. That would be that would be interesting because oh, well. we'd be running we'd probably be running burn on legacy, right? Yeah, I I think burn legacy blue moon and modern and whatever. Whatever jank I happen to be playing in standard. Yeah, you mean you mean unexpected results in modern. Uh, are we trying to win this event? Yes, that's why we're playing it. Emmer Cool's on <laughs> turn two. All right, so me and Andy will be carrying <laughs> you the whole time. Good Just like know. life. So today we're gonna have a quick chat about information and magic. John, why don't you set this one up for us here? So. This is kind of a complicated topic. This is a very complicated topic, actually. <laughs> yes, this is hard enough to explain in person to someone. So, like, the whole idea, like, this is, this isn't, actually, this does, this literally comes everything about information, like, it's information of knowing, trying to predict what your opponent is doing, like, their tells, as it were, and stuff like that, and just trying to, like, using what you can tell from what's going on in the game to figure out what's going to happen in the game and try and lead yourself into a advantageous board position like it it's is this is where the true skill part of magic i think comes into play is when you can start doing stuff like this and i personally think it's a very important topic and i obviously i think very highly of myself because i have an ego the size of the empire state building but I think I'm very good at it, and there's a lot of people who I think are very poor at it. Well, magic players as a whole are not good at concealing information from no, what because they're humans. Humans give out information. Well, stop. Just sit and look at a poker player for like two minutes, <laughs> and they don't tell anything. 
And look at a magic player, and as soon as they draw a bad card, you know it. Everybody yeah. knows it. At the at the high levels, people are really good at concealing far more. But I mean, if if you go to a local store, man, yeah. like it's you know, it, it's just yeah. crazy. Hey, it's almost like we're a podcast dedicated for local store level play, right? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that's like you can easily tell like when you watch someone who's really good at it that they don't give out information. Like you know, watch Owen Turtenwald or like. Watch Efro, who is a poker professional. The man has no emotion whatsoever when he plays. He was the guy I was thinking of who just doesn't budge. Yeah, he's... Even if he's wearing an eye patch and stuff, <laughs> man, that guy just, like, y- you don't see anything. He is Eric Froelich, and he will not change. And, like, that's something that, you know, even the people I know who play Magic and poker, like, locally, they still give away information when they're playing, like, Magic, because, once again, they're playing locally. They're not, they don't have that level of self-control. And that's just, you know something you can take advantage if you know of how you're doing it all right so so why don't you break down some of this stuff for us where we can get these edges all right so um the one of the biggest things is like playing at a local level you'll play against the same people a lot like you'll and you'll start to understand their mannerisms and you'll understand like the kind of thing like if you're drafting the kind of cards i like to play and things like that and like but the biggest thing is like there are certain people who I play with that I know in, like, primarily in draft, they will never chump attack. Like, um, to explain what chump attacking is, it's basically where you attack, like, say, we're playing and you have a 2 3 and I have a 2 2, and I just attack you into it. And you get, you know, suddenly, you know, you're going through that situation where you're like, okay, well, if he has a removal spell and I'm, or if he has a pump spell, am I willing to trade my creature for that pump spell, you know? Is this worth it? And it's like, you have to ask your question yourself, are you calling my bluff or not? And there's some people that just will never, ever make that chump attack without the combat yeah. trick. Like, they will never, ever do that. And as a result, I know to never block unless I also have a way to actually interact with what they're doing. And, you know, and I've gotten people with that before. It's like, I mean, they attack into my dude, and I'm like, no blocks. And the next turn they attack, they do the same thing. And I block, and then I go pump, and I'm like, well, kill it in response. You know, suddenly I get a two for one, they're down a guy, and, you know, they didn't get me twice. And there's the same thing, like, they, by proxy, assume that I will never jump attack them, so I've gotten in free damage against people doing the same thing. I love chump attacks. It gets people all the time. I do it too much is my problem, because <laughs> I get called on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, it's something that, like, if you if you listen to a lot of the pros, they'll tell you whenever someone chump attacks, always call. Because, best case scenario, it was literally a bluff and you just got them for nothing. Worst case scenario, they used a combat trick that's what's going to be in their hand anyways later. So at least it's gone. You don't have to play right I suppose most of the time it's a one-for-one trade. Yeah, like, sure, it sucks. They traded their, you know, plus two, plus oh, and first strike for your three, two, or whatever. It's like, yeah, that sucks, but their thing's dead. It's like, that's no longer a threat you have to worry about. The odds, like, sure, if you had to lose your, like, best bomb to that, it really sucks, but then you probably shouldn't be using your best bomb for blocking duty. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> just a thought. Yeah, so, like, that's just something that's a very common thing, is, like, you know, and, like, is also just, you know, as you said, if someone draws a bad card and you know them, you knew they drew a bad card. Or if you just, you draft with someone a lot, you tend to know, like, the kind of cards that they draft, like, with. Like, there's a guy who I draft with on Friday, actually. And I know he enjoys playing fog effects. And I knew he had the fog in his deck because he fogged me game one. He died anyways, but he still had it. 
That's usually what people who fog do. Yeah. So, and I'm trying to, so I'm playing around the fact that he has a fog, but instead of swinging with everything I have, I swing with just my two power flyer to put him to five, because I know that he's not going to waste a fog on just two damage. And then I went shock, shock, sack my implement of combustion for five damaging. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, I can, you can just learn how to play around things like that if you just understand how they play and the things that they're going to have on them. And I suppose part of that too is the the reverse of the whole thing is understanding what other people are doing, but understanding what your tells are, what your preferences are, and things like that. The things that you do, so you can kind of understand what you're giving away, and maybe even use that to some degree. Like I have preferences towards certain colors. Like in draft, I want to play blue green all the time, and I've, I've because, because value. value. I just want to tempo people out, and even if it's not good to some degree, and I can tend to do that. There's certain cards that I will just always play. Like when we were doing our chaos drafts, the joke is always whenever a, a card, a divination goes by, everybody just assumes I'm going to take it. <laughs> it's like, well, well, you know, Fletcher's in blue because, you know, I opened a divination in my pack th- four seats away and no one else is going to take it. Pretty so. much, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, even knowing that and stuff, you can kind of shift how you how you play or just be aware of it even. Yeah, like, I like to think that I'm actually relatively good at not giving away information. Because, like, you know, when, I, when I'm playing, you know, at a really high level, I start to stiffen up and, like, I really don't react to stuff. And I once had a friend of mine tell me that I was the most terrifying person to play against in Cons of Tarkir, stand, or Cons of Tarkir Limited, because it was a morph format. And every time I laid a morph, he had no idea what it was. He didn't even know if I could flip it up. But he was scared of it because I gave nothing away about what it was when I played. It's <laughs> so like he said that I was just like the most the intimidating person to play against. Like even like, and I had you know I had a different guy who he's playing against me, and like I am completely dead on board. And he's staring at my six open mana, and he's looking at me, and he's like, "Why didn't you just concede? You're dead on board." I'm like, "Maybe I'm not dead on board." And he starts thinking that I have the mythic rare flash six six. And he's like, because well, if, he, if, if, he, if I have that, he's dead. Like, I block one of his guys, and I swing for lethal. And he's just, like, super paranoid about that, and he's trying to figure out how he can play around and stuff. And, like, I almost got him to misplay because, you know, like, I had nothing. I had land in my hand. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those people, too, that I just, in, in those situations, I have that problem where I, I don't concede. And I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's situations where I will, but I've I've let people go through combos, just hoping that they in person misclick and you know things like that. But you know, you just I'm just not going to give anything away like that. All right, I'm just going to point out that like even Reduke, the nicest guy in the world, will make you kill him. He will never concede. It's like make your opponents kill you, make them think you might have something. Because if you're good enough at bluffing and they misplay, suddenly you can get yourself into a position where you can win with it. So it's like learning how to control your own emotions and learning how to read your opponents is just a very good thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's also a, there's a little bit more into like the information aspect than that. Like you're not just going with you know um, reading your opponents. Sometimes like you can take into account the stuff that are so-called rules of the format and predict what they're going to have based on that. So what do you mean by rules of the format? So one of the one of the ones that I, it's very common and I take advantage of a lot, is it is the standard procedure in modern where you always fetch before you start missions. 
this makes sense on like for so many reasons like because or year or so if you serum visions and then fetch what if you kept a card on top you wanted suddenly you know you're shuffling that card away which is just bad and you, know, you you no longer have like the knowledge of where your stuff is so like if you or if like you put two cards on the bottom and then you fetch you shuffle those two cards you didn't want back in I'm the, I'm the king of doing the the incorrect serum visions or like scrying mulling to six scrying and being like oh I want that card putting it on top and then fetching right away yeah <laughs> like it's just like it's just like an unofficial rule that good quotations people will always do and you can kind of use that to your advantage in certain situations it's it's another very common thing actually in standard right now with uh grim flayer uh grim flayer is a two two for two mana that can become a four four if you have delirium. And when it deals combat damage to a player, you look at the top three cards of your library and put any number of them into your graveyard. And it's not, it's, you know, standard procedure where if you're going to attack the Grim Flayer, you'll either crack your Evolving Wilds first, or you'll use your Traverse the Ulvenwald first, because that way, you know, you're actually setting up the top of your library instead of screwing it up. And I've seen people screw that up, you know, they, they attack and then they do that and they're like, oops, I wanted that card. But, you know, some people don't always obey the rules of the format, but it's still something that, you know... It's something to keep in mind for someone who's you know is a good player that they're going to um, try and do those things, and you can use that to take advantage of if you understand what you're what you're doing. So, like, how would you take advantage of one of those situations? Well, like for example, with like a Serum Visions, I do it all the time. Where if they're like Serum Visions, keep one on top, one on the bottom, past turn, I'll Thought Scour them. Like, normally, you know, I'm playing Thought Scour. I want to put my own cards in my graveyard because it makes my Snapcasters better. But if they thought a card is worth keeping on top, it's probably more value for me to put that card in their graveyard than it is for me to put two random cards in my graveyard. Because they clearly wanted that card in their hand. Fair enough. Okay. That's, yeah. Like, that's just, that's a very common play that I'll do. And, you know, like, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I forgot you can do that. It's like Because it's used so much the other way. Yeah, it's like I actually did something very similar to that a long time ago in um, when I was playing Ashiok in Standard against a blue-white opponent. My opponent played Scryland, and he scryed, kept on top, and I had a grind clock in play. And normally, you know, I tick grind clock up to five, but I had grind clock set to two. I'm like, well, you scryed on top, mill you two. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. And then I milled two of his Elspeths. That seems okay to mill. It's like... It's like, all right, so you just lost your two best win cons against me, and you can't race me anymore. Sweet, you're gonna you're gonna die to mill now. It's just little things like that that you should you know take advantage of. Okay, that makes sense. I'd, I'd never heard of that term, rules of the format. Yeah, it's 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 something that I personally I don't know if I've ever heard anyone else say it, but it's something that I personally think of it as like there are just some things that if someone's playing correctly, they will always do. And sometimes you can punish them for it. We're we're gonna coin that phrase. That's gonna be our um. Uh... Local, lo- local meta, one of our phrases that we use. Sweet. <laughs> Copyright that. Okay, so um, where else can we get information and pick things apart and get an edge here? Well, there are certain times where like, maybe your opponent is playing in such a certain way that it's, it's something like I said with the whole... It's very similar to the whole chump attacking concept of they're basically trying to bait you into doing something and like you know, if you if you know your opponent never chump attacks and they're chump attacking you, they clearly have something. And like I said, this is something that I've taken advantage of before, where it's like, okay, so my opponent's attacking with their thing, and I choose to block. Like I'm playing into the fact that I'm pretty sure they have a combat trick, and I'm going to you know 
get blown out by it in quotations. And then they cast it, and suddenly I respond with my own combat trick. And then, or, you know, a removal spell, and I two-for-one them, because, you know, I played into what they were trying to bait me into doing. You know, sometimes, like, play, like uh, yeah, playing into your opponent's, you know, attempted tricks, you know, it, like acting like maybe you don't know about them is just beneficial. I mean, even just they attack into your 2-3 with a 2-2, two, two, and you're like, okay, block. They use up their trick. They say, so they still have a 2-2 two, two after this. You don't respond in any way, and then next turn you play a 3-3 three, three or a 4-4. Four, four. I, mean, I mean, now they can't use that trick to kill your bigger creature. Yeah, you're like, you're trading a weaker creature for a combat trick, and now you have a better creature. Like, there are just some times where it just makes a lot of sense to do stuff like that. I, I feel like we, uh, as Magic players, we want to be... We're smart. Yeah. I mean, you know, that sounds like we're... Like, Magic players on a whole tend to be pretty intelligent, and they want to feel smart. And playing around somebody's stuff and thinking about this stuff is like, oh man, I'm so smart, I know this card's there. But I think we get tunnel vision and don't really think about what the best decision is, and we, we kind of have this emotional reaction to it, um, especially at our level, or the, the local level of play. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes the best thing to do is just be like, yeah, I know they got the trick, you know, let's just play right into it and do it. Yeah, and that's that kind of leads into another like you know concept about this whole thing is like if you sit and think about something too long, you are giving away a lot of information to your opponent about what you could be trying to do. And like you know, the longer you sit there and think, the longer you're letting your opponent sit there and think, and they might really you know start thinking you have something that previously they'd never even thought you might have. Like I'm gonna use an example from earlier today, actually. Um, I was playing in a game three to play for the three zero against a really good friend of mine who's like really good at magic, and I'm completely dead on board if he gets to attack unless I basically uh, chump block my entire board state into him to not die. But I have the out of just essentially killing him if I top deck exactly fiery temper. And he doesn't kill my 3-1 flyer with his walking ballista. And so, like, I've already established this is what I need to do. Like, the only other option I have is, like, top decking a... Actually, I can't even top... The only other possible option would be top decking a um, Elder Deep Fiend, but I don't have two blue, so I can't even emerge that out to try and, you know, kill him the turn after. So I literally have one out to actually win this game. And it involves your opponent misplaying, which are always the worst ones. (laughs) Yeah, it's like trying to rely on your opponent to screw up, especially when you know that this opponent is not a bad magic player by any stretch of the imagination. Like, I consider him to be on my level, if not sometimes better. <laughs> he smoked me a few times. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's very good. And so he's, I need him to screw up, which is just not something I ever like to try, try and get my opponent to do. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to do what I need to do. So I draw my card for the turn. I see it's a fiery temper. And I immediately put it on the table and turn all my dues sideways. Like it was any other card, like a yeah. land or whatever. Like I've been, I had already been doing that the entire like match. Like that's just, that's what I would do constantly. And what I commonly wound up doing is like, I would do that. And then I, you know, on his turn, I'd wind up discarding whatever it was to something else. The deck I was playing. And he's just like, he looks at the board and he's like, all right, I'll take nine, go to two. I'm like, all right, fiery temper you. And he's just like, well, shit. <laughs> I'm like, well, why didn't you kill my three one? And he's like, well, I wasn't thinking about it, you know, because I was, I wanted to make sure that I still had lethal on you the next turn and I didn't think it mattered. And like, 
he said he thought about fiery temper, but he didn't really think about it. And I would like if I had, you know, sat there and stared at the card in my hand and like looked at the board, like if I in any way, shape or form looked at that walking ballista and my 3-1, he might have put two and two together that he should kill the 3-1. So, you know, I just went ham and I, I like to personally think that the fact that I rushed, as it were, was actually why he didn't think about it, you know, and I wound up winning a game that I had no right to win. I was on a mulligan to five and color screwed. <laughs> sometimes you just get lucky. Yeah, sometimes you get lucky. And, you know, I like to think that I, pl- I, I played to my outs, as it were. Uh, well, I mean, you know, the saying is, is that you have to play well enough to get lucky. So mm. that is something that I think a lot of people don't take into account whenever they're doing like stuff like that is you should know what you need to do to win before your turn even happens, especially in situations like that. Because the more you give your opponent time to, like, figure out how to stop you, the less likely you are to win. Especially, like, if if I was behind like I was, which I was, like I said, I was dead on board the next turn. I was only winning if I top-decked exactly one card. Like, I already knew exactly what I needed to do, and I played to that out, and I happened to get it. And there's a lot of people who just, you know, they'll top-deck, and they'll stare at their card, and they'll stare at the board... And it just takes so long for them to do their turn that it's effectively slow play at that point. And then they'll finally do it, hoping their opponent screws up. Yeah. It's like, you gave them too long. And I mean, most of the time, you, you, you should know what is in your deck, at least. Yeah. And you should have a general idea of kind of what the format as a whole is doing, or the deck you're playing against is doing. And things, you know, things don't change as rapidly as we think they do to some degree. I mean, once the board's established and you've assessed it, you can kind of pick things apart and say, I need to deal with this threat and this threat if I, you know, and kind of have a general idea of, oh, if I draw one of these types of cards, I can do this. If I draw one of these types of cards, I can do this. And if I draw land, I brick and die or whatever. Yeah. But you don't have to rebuild the board state every single time you draw a card. That's something that way too many people do all the time. It's like, I I am very, very... Oh, what's the word? I can't even think of it. Judgmental. I'm very judgmental of other control players. Because there's so <laughs> many people who they'll draw their card for the turn, then they'll shuffle their hand around, and then they'll think. And then they'll say go. And it drives me up a wall. Or like their opponent will cast a spell, and they'll look at their hand. And they'll be like, hmm. They're Himmin and Han, and even if they have a counterspell, they're still Himmin and Han. And then they say resolve or don't resolve. And I understand why you do that, because you want your opponent to think you have a counterspell. But there are times where your opponents will either not... I'm like, I'm not kind of sound like a jerk. They either won't be good enough to play around it, or they'll understand that they need to get it out of your hand anyways, unless they're in a situation where they're able to cast you know two threats in one turn and like maybe if your land screwed they'll hold their threat back and then they'll be like you know okay i'm gonna cast two threats in one turn and then you can only counter one of them and then i have a threat in play but like i i actually play to the opposite degree to a very to a point that has actually has cost me a match before at least one in memory where i'm staring at a spell snare and i'm playing against affinity and i know that 90% of what they cast, I can't even counter, and I don't even care about countering. But, you know, for that, you know, the one-tenth of their deck when they cast it, I'm going to counter it. Like, I know what my opponent's doing. I'm not going to waste time, you know, thinking about countering their a Memnite or whatever 
when I can't. So, you know, it's like, I'm just going to sit down and be like, sure, sure, sure. And then, you know, maybe they get get lulled into a false sense of security. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to cast, you know, my cranial plating. I'm like, spell snare. And they're like, oh, I didn't even think you had a counter spell. Or it's it's another very good example when um in Standard, I was playing against a guy. And I was playing Control against his four-color Planeswalker deck. And he kept casting the Oaths. And I just, I'm, I straight up told him during game two, I'm like, I will never counter an oath you cast because I don't care about them. I'm only <laughs> going to counter your planeswalkers because I have a limited number of counter spells and I can't waste them on pointless cards. Like <laughs> I just straight up told him that because he kept casting them and looking at me. It's like, I'm never going to counter them. I have no inclination to. I'm going to counter what matters. Your you, you just keep doing your thing. I will tell you when to stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like that's that's how I play control decks. Like like, do I lose some percentage points by playing a little bit faster? Maybe, but it's like if you consistently get into the habit of just like you know, be like, oh yeah, sure that results, sure that results, sure that results. One, it will save you time. Two, it will get your opponents to possibly play into stuff because they're like, oh maybe he doesn't have a counter spell because you know this thing resolved randomly. It's like. No, I have a counterspell. I just don't care about what you're doing. It's like, you can cast all the two threes you want. I have a board wipe in my hand. But as soon as you cast that Gideon, he is getting exiled. Yeah, it kind of puts the pressure on your opponent, too, which is something yeah. I like. Because I tend to play, I mean, and um, even even when I was playing land still in Legacy, like I tend to play really fast mm-hmm. in Legacy. Um, even Gosh, even in, I suppose even with Blue Moon, I, I tend to play pretty fast there, too. Um, and that's a deck with a lot of counter spells and i know that's that's burned me probably once or twice even but i don't know i've i've gotten people because because uh, because i know what i have in my hand and i'm looking for specific threats mm-hmm. and as they you know i'm just like yep yeah, we're, we're doing this stuff and then they play their threat and it's like oh they got it and they didn't even realize i had something but. yeah it's like you played you played the card i care about and like plus like being able to segment stuff like that is really good for your mental game if you're playing a deck like a control deck or, you know, a deck with like a removal spell. It's like, you know, I'm only going to kill this one card because I don't care about the rest or I'm only going to counter this one card because I don't care about the rest. You don't have to sit there and him and haw. You're not mentally wearing yourself down, which, you know, matters for doesn't matter as much for like the smaller tournaments. But, you're you playing know, nine rounds or yeah, ten like, rounds a day. If <laughs> you go to a bigger tournament, or you know, if you're playing like you know the local invitational, which is you know three rounds plus three rounds into three more rounds, if you go all the way to the finals, like that is nine rounds. Like, yeah, it's not that much, but it's still a lot. I mean, that's a lot. I mean, that SCG regionals was nine rounds, wasn't it? And that was yeah. a long day. It was a yeah. Like that's just something that you need to take into account whenever you're doing any sort of uh, mental gaming, trying to trick your opponent into thinking you have something or make them worry about something. Like yeah, a lot of people will say yeah, you should sit in here and think because you know it makes your opponents worry about stuff. I'm like yeah, or they'll just not care. Like there's there's pros and cons to both halves, and I understand that, but it is just my personal opinion that some people do it way too goddamn. And we and we have a podcast, so yeah. we get to we get to spew our opinions out there, and they're they're law. Yeah, you're, <laughs> they're law to anyone who wants to continue listening to my insane rambling. All right, <laughs> so back on the topic of information, we're we we have a story. It's going to yes. be more story time with John here that kind of illustrates a lot of these points. So, John, why don't you take it away with the the wonderful story? I'm just going to point out that the this entire podcast has been story time with John. <laughs> um so 
this is like this story like really in my opinion encompasses almost everything that we have so far talked about in this like understanding what your opponent's doing understanding the rules of the format and just how to interact with your opponent like you know on that level so a couple weeks ago i was playing modern with my own little blue black deck and i got paired up against another friend of mine on jeskai control and this is another really good magic player and like i have learned more about sequencing and how to like play against an opponent against him than anyone else like on a personal level like just that's that's how he plays it's how you know i learned to play against him and it's just a lot of relevant things that i've learned from both watching and playing against him so once again he's not a bad player by any means i just want to keep reiterating that about all these people this isn't the 12-year-old that, that came to FNM with um, uh, their cards I have dot deck. Yeah. So he's playing Jeskai Control, and I won, I, I win game one, and we go to game two. And he looks at his hand, and it's just, you know, we're both on seven cards, and my hand's kind of weak. Uh, it's like, my hand's like three lands. Uh, I think I have Serum Visions. Lands, Serum Visions, uh, Surgical Extraction, uh, Kalidus, and a um, Spell Snare. So he's on the play, and he looks at his hand, and he says, well, I'm going to risk it for the biscuit. <laughs> and if that's not a giveaway. <laughs> like, Now, this is something that a lot of people at our store say a lot whenever they keep a semi-sketchy hand. This is something that I've seen a lot of magic players say just anywhere I play at. Yeah, like it's just it's something people say when their hand is a little on the mediocre side, shall we say. And you know, they clearly need a little bit of help. And so he goes turn 1 fetch serum visions. I'm like, "All right, that's a perfectly standard normal play to make in a control deck in modern." I'm, so, yeah. I'm happy with this play yeah. just so, hearing about it. I also go turn 1 I just play a land straight up and go Serum Visions. So I, I draw Shadow of Doubt, and I think I keep, like, land, land on top, because it's the control mirror, and I want nothing but lands in my life. So he he or he or kept top-bottom on his Serum Visions. So he goes, we, I pass back to his turn, he draws his card for the turn, he shuffles his hand around a bit, and then he plays a fetch land, and he cracks it. And my mind immediately just starts going insane. Because... I know his mannerisms. He will never just play a card that he just drew straight off the top. It's never. It's not in his nature. He will always shuffle around his hand. Uh, the whole knowledge of you know the rule of the format thing is like you always fetch before your serum visions because you don't want to screw up your fetch. You don't want to screw up your scry. <laughs> and so he's he picks up his deck, you know, because why am I going to counter his serum visions? And he starts shuffling through it. And I'm like, hold on a second. I think I need to respond to that. And he just stops moving, and he looks at me and he says, "Okay." I'm like, "Surgical extract your Sam visions." He's like, "Wow!" <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm pretty. His exact phrase was, "Wow, that's a beating." And so he reveals his hand, which contains no more lands. And I take the Sam visions he has in his hand, and I see he has a mana leak and a couple other cards that aren't particularly worrisome because they cost you know it's like a nahiri and other stuff they just cost a lot of mana so and i take that and he winds up getting you know he doesn't see a third land for a while i am able to position things into a point where 
I'm trying to get it so I can cast my Kalidus while still leaving open uh, Spell Snare to counter his Mana Leak so I can actually resolve my, my one threat and just try and close out the game on him. And he winds up seeing his third land like way later than you know anyone ever should if they're trying to actually win a game. And I get it to a point where I cast my Kalidus trying to bait him into cracking his fetch. And he's like, I'm going to fetch in response. I'm like, I'm going to respond to your fetch by fetching twice. And he goes to mana leak my Kalidus. I spell snare. I get swamp plane or swamp island and shadow of doubt. And he just concedes on the spot because he's, you know, he has two lands in play against a resolved Kalidus against another control deck. He's just dead. So like that. And it's like, it's really hard for a lot of people. They'd look at what I did and they'd probably say that I did a very, very greedy play. That is a super greedy play without context. Yeah, like, it's an absurdly greedy play, but they're like, it's, like I said, there's a million little things that went into why I made that decision. Like, the fact he said, I'm going to risk it for the biscuit. Like, the fact... I mean, that's a huge giveaway, yeah. that something is going wrong. And, like, the fact that he went turn one fetch visions into turn two fetch means his hand is either very heavy on lands... Or very light on lands. And either way, it's good for me because if his hand's really heavy on lands, maybe I can get into a position where, you know, I can resolve a threat against him, you know, a lot easier. And then he just won't be able to deal with it. And then, you know, with he won't be able to counter it. And then maybe the next turn, I'll be able to hold up a counter magic to protect from removal and I can just ride that advantage. Or, you know, he gets into a position where he's digging for lands and I make it so he just cannot find any lands. And, you know, I can just take advantage of that that way. So, like, I one for one him, essentially. I took his Serum Visions out of his hand, and then I made, you know, he can no longer draw any more Serum Visions to make that actually good for him. I got information about his hand, which, like I said, I used that to leverage into a point where I could then cast my Kalidus to try and just take advantage of that to win the game. And just a million little things that, like, in this time it took him to pick up his deck and find a Steam Fence. I came to the conclusion that that was the most likely way for me to win that game. Just because of all the little things that went into it. And, like, he got land screwed way more than he probably, like, is reasonable for what wound up happening to him. So I got a little bit lucky that he got punished as severely as he did, but it's still, you know. But how much of that also yeah. is because you surgical extractioned a Serum Visions. Yeah. Like, there's and you just... couldn't hit another one of those. Like, yeah, there's just so much that went into that, and like it wound up me, me into it led to me getting to a game winning advantage. It's like, yeah, I got lucky, but I still had to make the correct play to allow myself to get that lucky. Because I mean, you could have easily made the made the decision to cast that uh, Kalidus to, and just get blown out by a mana leak or something like yeah. that. Yeah, like that was still within your power to lose that game. Yeah, very very easily. Like if I was playing the you know correcting quotations way, I would never have cast that. He would have scryed. He possibly you know would have kept finding his lands, and then like he resolves in a hiri, and things get really awkward for both of us. And you know the game just draws out. So it's like I had I gained both information plus I cost him you know a card out of his hand, and just library manipulation is so huge for control decks because you know you only want to draw certain cards at certain times. And it's a really big thing. So. I mean, yeah, I mean, how many turns did that set him back? Potentially. I mean, we don't, we won't know. We yeah. can't go back in our time machine and change the game. But I mean, realistically, just taking away that scry from him and taking away the future potential of getting any more serum visions could have just, you know, warped that game. And I mean, a lot of it came with, you know, I'm going to risk it for the biscuit. Yep. 
Like that that one statement alone gave away so much information that it literally made me like you know like I said it led to me getting a game winning advantage just because of that one statement. Like if he hadn't said that and he had just gone turn one fetch center visions and the turn two fetch center visions, I never would have actually you know surgical extracted center visions. Like there's no reason for me to do that. Yeah, that's a as you said that's a super greedy play in in any other world. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you just got to get lucky to uh, to win a match. Yeah. Yep. Play good enough to get lucky. Play good enough to get lucky. That's my mantra for <laughs> life sometimes, too. Yeah, because you're not you know, the luckiest person in the world or anything. You know, I have my moments. <laughs> Do you have um, uh, anything else to add on this topic? Kind of just like a curiosity thing about your own personal play experience even though you don't necessarily have that much of it have you uh, like have, insulting <laughs> hey you're fine <laughs> have you ever actually uh have you ever gotten to a position where you actually just you know you could just ha- had the soul read on your opponent and took advantage of that oh gosh in anything like casual or constructed i'm just curious oh man because we play a lot you we probably understand lot. my mannerisms by now I know some of your mannerisms, but you know a lot of mine, too. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I, I'm sure I have. I just can't think of anything. I mean, the only the only thing that's coming up, and I don't have anything specific, it is um, the the Blue Moon Mirror I played. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I felt like I knew my deck so well and just knew those decks so well that just by the mana he was leaving open, I knew what he wanted to play mm-hmm. and could play around it and... I can't think of any specific read like off the top of my head where I, where I just got somebody. I mean, even that though, it's like you're playing a high, a super complicated control mirror, and you just you know you you take advantage of the old adage, knowledge is power. Yeah, and just like with the control mirrors, it's so weird, or that control mirror was so weird because you don't want to be the one throwing the punch; you want to be the one counter punching, mm-hmm. and so like. It was try like a lot of it was getting baiting him into cast his uh, P and Kieran Nilar because that's like the card that wins the game basically. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I think one of the games I was at a point where I had two of them in my hand. So the turn before I think he had enough mana up to counter one of them. But I'm like I'm like I know he has one in his hand. So I played one out, knowing he would counter it, and then the next turn play his. But I had enough mana to counter his, and then. The following turn, I was able to play mine and have it stick and win the game and basically kind of ride that thing to victory. You're like, but, hey, I'll trade you my, I'll trade you my rook for your bishop, and then you take, <laughs> and you take his rook, and then you, you know, take his queen as a result of that. And that's like that whole game though is just jockeying for position like that constantly, and just you know it wasn't always who had more counter spells; it's who had the right counter spells mm-hmm. at the right time and knew when to play them and when to let things resolve. I don't know. I really, I really enjoyed that game. They feel really rewarding when you win them, don't they? Oh man, those ones feel really, really good because I, I don't do particularly great in control mirrors. I'll be honest. I'm a little, little trigger happy on stuff, so. I tend to um uh, tend to go for stuff a little quicker than I should, so being able to sit back and just kind of let my opponent do the work was I think was a big thing for me on that one. One semi-random comment around control mirrors: it's really hilarious how amazing Cryptic Command is until you're in a counter war. 
Oh man, <laughs> that is the worst man, goddamn so card much. in your deck. Oh my god. <laughs> or it's like, uh, oh man, get, um, what was the? I can't remember if it was one of my early modern experiences just with cryptic. I just my my cryptic command play that I always love was the um uh, bouncing my snapcaster for the win or whatever it was. <laughs> Like, I don't remember who it was, because my opponent was so confused when I did that, because whenever whenever somebody casts Cryptic Command, it almost always feels like it's counter your spell draw card. Yeah, it's almost always dismiss. Yeah, it's almost always dismissed. So, like, people kind of get confused when you do other things, it feels like. I don't know, I feel like I'm the only person in the world who's ever cast Cryptic Command and not drawn a card off of it. <laughs> I mean, those are usually those are usually bad games. That is but, kind uh, of blasphemy. I mean, yeah, I know. But... Because he, um, uh, oh, what is it? Uh, oh, no, I can't remember the card. Black, green, instant, destroy target, permanent, convert mana cost three or less. Abrupt can't decay. Be there we are, abrupt decay. So, because I had um my snapcaster on the field, and I think I was just beating him down with that. <laughs> so, on his turn, he goes to abrupt decay, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, cryptic command, I'm, I'm like, cryptic command, bounce draw card. And he's like, you can't counter my abrupt decay, it's uncounterable. I'm like, yeah, I know, I'm bouncing the the snapcaster he's like what <laughs> i'm like yeah i'm bouncing the snapcaster he's like oh yeah it can do that <laughs> so, then I bu- so then i bounced the snap because and that was like i was literally riding that snapcaster to victory there and then it was like okay play snapcaster bolt you you die and <laughs> it was just like one of those things where i'm uh I don't know. I just I, that was just a play I really like. Even though like I'm sure everyone out there who plays modern and has played Cryptic Command is like, yeah, get good scrub. <laughs> but I don't know. For someone who has only been into modern for <clears throat> the last couple years, that's that was just I don't know, sweet. And that was early in my modern career too, so it felt yeah. super good, and I felt like the smartest person ever. You saw a line that a lot of people don't. And also, I'm just gonna date myself and be really nostalgic say I want you to imagine the sensation you felt when you played that blue moon mirror and multiply it by 10 and that's twin mirrors oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I'm trying to think um I think twin was pretty much out by the time I really started playing blue moon so I didn't have to play against twin mirrors much yeah you played against twins I played I played with twin I don't think I ever played a twin mirror because I well because it was that first modern event I ever played I was like hey they're only playing modern you should give me a deck and you handed me twin and yeah. I think I went like three and one or something like that it was great because I gave you the sideboard strategy of board out all your twins and board into blue moon <laughs> I think I was playing that and I'm like man you know what I really like the side like the sideboarded games because you basically just play a control slash tempo deck and like a tempo control deck and it's just the best thing ever and then I'm uh. Yeah, we I think we picked up that because uh, we play that the 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 shackles control list actually, yeah. and that's old school awesomeness. But I don't think it, I don't think Blue Moon really runs that anymore even. But no, because there's right. good cards in the format. I think my tangent went a little farther than probably should have. So uh, that's all right. <laughs> I think we'll but, cut this. <laughs> all right, we'll we'll wrap it up. So I'm uh, yeah, I guess that's it for this week, and we'll catch you next time. See ya. Bye.